Today's sermon is from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. Today, this will be the last sermon on this text, so you can breathe a sigh of relief. I, I think I told you, or at least warned many of you, that that there would be a, there would be a lot here, and uh, this is one of those formative moments in the New Testament, and it's important that we get a grasp on this, especially that last verse. That's what we're going to focus on. That last verse about forgiveness. Do you know the story of Corey Ten Boom? Corey Ten Boom. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And I don't even know how strongly to recommend it to you. I read it as a teenager. It is extraordinary. It's one of the most extraordinary uh, works to come out of the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. In World War II, after the Germans had taken, taken Holland, they, uh, they, there were a number of Dutch people who began to, uh, and Christians, who began to hide Jews to get them out of out of Holland. And Corey Ten Boom, the Ten Boom family had such a place and they call and it became called it became it got the name the hiding place where they successfully rescued a number of Jewish Jewish people. And it, it the stories are incredible. I mean it just it'll blow you away and it will it will feed your faith and it will shape for you what godly faith looks like. But uh, in this, but one of the stories she tells was it, it. She went to the Nazi concentration camps, and her whole family was killed there. Her sister, her parents—they all died at Ravensbrück. And um, years later, though, she was transformed. She became an evangelist, and she was actually preaching the gospel in 1947 in Germany. She here tell tell the story. She re records it. And, and she, uh, she was still fairly young, a teenager, a little just, after, just beyond her teens. And uh, she was preaching the gospel in Germany. And she talks about what it was like in 1947 when you would preach the gospel. And she was preaching the gospel that, that God takes your, takes your sins and throws them into the ocean. They're as deep as if they're at the bottom of the, the sea. And she just gotten done to portraying the gospel. And, uh, and she saw a man walking, walking up towards her. And immediately, as, as people will come up to you after you speak, she recognized him. And that recognition at that moment was what? The shabby, the, the overcoat and the hat in his hands was suddenly superimposed. And she saw him again as, as, the, as the guard, one of the guards who inducted her into Ravensbrück. She said, as she saw him coming forward, she suddenly saw him in his, uh, his German uniform again and, and the image of him, and she saw her sister, her and her sister, as they were being inducted into the concentration camp, standing naked, and she could see her sister's bony body in front of her, and this man 
uh, comes up and he says, Fraulein, what a great preaching of the gospel. Were you at, I was a guard at Ravensbrook, you mentioned it. Were you there? He didn't recognize her. And she realized he didn't recognize her and she's standing there looking at him. And he looks at her and he says, Fraulein, you have just preached the gospel and told me my sins are at the bottom of the sea. I became a Christian after all the cruel things I did. For all I'm, he's forgiven me. Will you forgive me? And he reached out his hand. Now, what would you have done right at that moment? <laughs> Forgiveness. 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 It sits at the core of Christian teaching. It sits at the core of the Christian idea. You may not even, you may just be, let's say you're listening to this for the first time or just investigating Christianity. It, it's one of the things Christianity is most known for if you're not a Christian. It is, the, it is the religion of forgiveness. It is the religion of forgiveness. I mean, forgive, forgive, forgive. It's, it's everywhere. And then we have this moment right here. We're in John 20. Christ is risen from the dead. He proclaims peace. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And it's, it's odd. It's almost kind of jarring if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're paying attention. This, this verse, is, it has a, it just, a, well, what? Withhold. Withhold forgiveness. There is a time to withhold forgiveness. So when that guard from Robinsbrook put forward his hand, is that one of those moments? Remembering the death of your sister? So uh, but there, that forgiveness just brings up problems, doesn't it? It brings up personal inward problems, our own, our own inability to forgive ourselves. Uh, it brings up problems of forgiving others and what it means. It, it brings up a host of problems, but it doesn't bring up just problems for us, does it? No. It brings up problems for God, too. Forgiveness creates problems. And these bunch of problems that's, that's created by forgiveness and, and highlighted by verse 23 here, that, that as we investigate the problem, we discover, we discover our hope. We discover the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's, the, here's the, the outline. This is where the message is going. So first, I want to look at this forgiveness problem of God. God, the, the forgiveness problem begins with God. And the, the problems we have just reflect that problem. And the solution of that problem is the solution of ours. What the solution of God's forgiveness problem means is we become a forgiveness engine that could. We become forgiveness engines. But sometimes those forgiveness engines don't work. And we become a people who don't forgive or become a person who does not forgive. And then there's a forgiveness, finally, that never happens. There is a forgiveness from God. And there's a forgiveness even here on earth that never happens. But we can't understand that third point until we go through the first two. So strap in because we, gotta, we have to dive into the good news of the gospel to understand forgiveness. It's not as simple and cut and dry as you might have thought. Let's first, let's look at the problem. It's a problem, uh, the forgiveness problem that God has. God has problems. He has solutions, too. You'll notice it's his problem. Receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive the sins of any. They are forgiven them. God is saying, I am partnering. I am a part of the process of your forgiving, he is saying. And I am, a, I am in it. And if you forgive, I'm there. And if you don't, I'm there. And 
And he's, he's putting his seal on it by the Holy Spirit, you see here. So he is a part of this problem of a withheld forgiveness. And nowhere is the problem more clearly described, though, but in the Bible itself. Let's take a look in the Bible itself. And in fact, the first time that God really reveals himself, and it's to Moses. It's to Moses. And this is one of the most famous, this is probably the summit of the Old Testament when it comes to the revelation of God to a man, to a person. And this is that place when God reveals himself to Moses and he declares his name, remember? And remember, he, he, he says it twice. So nice, he says it twice. That's a Hebrew form of perfection. He is the perfect I am, I am. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Now, this is the part I want you to see. Forgiving corruption, rebellion, and failure, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Forgiving corruption, rebellion, and failure. Three words. that are three words for sin in the Old Testament. They're the three words that David uses in his great poem about God's forgiveness, Psalm 51, after he had killed his best friend and slept with his best friend's wife. And now you've been repenting of this, and he calls upon God for forgiveness of corruption. What is corruption? But the moral, moral, evilly warped part of the distortion of our bodies. And the original Hebrew word means bent. What's rebellion? But shaking our fist at God that we will not do as he says, or we will do as we please. We will make our own way. That's what it means. It means rebels. And the third word is failure. Not missing the mark, not quite reaching, not reaching the standard that God has set. And it says that he forgives those. And this word for forgiving here means lifting. It's the word for lifting, or and it can be covering, a removal. But do you notice this terrible but here? Do you notice this? Because right next to this declaration of forgiveness is what? Who will by no means clear the guilty? Well, wait a second. Aren't they the guilty? Corrupt rebels who fail? Corrupt rebels who fail, you and me, aren't we the guilty? How with the statement is nonsense. Oh my goodness, he wants you to tear your well, how, how and you see the contrast, you see the you see the tensions, and, and I think in the tensions, and the tension is being highlighted by God here is eternal life. Because of course there's an answer, because there's an even bigger but than this one. All jokes aside, it's from Romans 3, the but now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Do you know what this Exodus 34 is from? It's from the law and the prophets. Moses is the great prophet. Deuteron Exodus through Deuteronomy, that's all law, it's the Torah. It bears witness to this. What? A righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And now all of a sudden forgiveness, forgiveness becomes this intersection of this quandary that satisfies a guilty verdict on someone that's not, somebody's not cleared here, and yet forgiveness comes. How can you, how can you exact guilty, how can you exact the, the verdict of guilty and its punishment and yet forgive at the same time? Only if, by faith, we are in Jesus Christ. So forgiveness, then, forgiveness is, is justification by faith. And what it means, it means a position being in Christ. It means forgiveness is an addition and a subtraction. 
You know, and what we're brought here is that God solves the riddle. He solves the problem. He solves the conflict in Jesus Christ. Now, this diagram, I, I fret, I've been fretting over it for the last 24 hours, but whether it really is going to, whether it's clear or not. But look at this thing of justification. This is the thesis. Justification by faith makes forgiveness a transaction, a transaction free. In other words, it has, it's objective. It has nothing to do with you in one sense, and yet everything to do with your story. But it happened outside you and for you and in him. But first of all, do you see it's a position in Christ? Look, I want you to, if you want to see objectively how you're forgiven, 164 times in the New Testament, it is to, we are described as being in Christ. I want you to get this. It doesn't make, you can't be in Christ and not be forgiven and not be, not have all of his holiness in you and all of him, him for you. And we're going to look, we're going to unpack this right now, but you get it in Christ. Every time the Bible says in Christ, it's saying in the forgiveness that he purchased, in the forgiveness he secured, in the perfect forgiveness of God, in the, every time it can mean nothing else. Why? Because if you're in Christ, a great subtraction has happened and a great addition Forgiveness is first a great subtraction, isn't it? It's the removal of guilt, lies, cruelty, anger, lust, all of it, the story, all the story, all of it beyond. It's a subtraction, an elimination, as it were. Look at Titus 3, and look at, let's watch how it reads. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's free. It's not because of what we've done. It's outside of us. But according to his own mercy, it has to do with him. It's a transaction at the cross. What does it do? Washing, washing, washing creates the, creates the subtraction here and regeneration, renewal. And that's the addition. What's the addition? Christ's own righteousness, goodness, merit, purity, sacrifice, all in you by faith. It's all been added to you and all the guilt's been removed completely by a position in Christ, that you have by just crying out in faith and trust. And this is the good news. <laughs> All right, so I, and, and I, 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 uh, I want to begin here. I just want to begin, I want to begin with the reason that Jesus called me to, to, to speak like this, because, uh, to, to, to talk, and that is to invite folks, to invite you and invite others to this, to the position. Get in the position. Get in Jesus. And what, what am I talking about? Cry out right now. <laughs> Look, it, if you're, in the if you're in the ruin of your sin, this is an invitation today. This message is an invitation to the forgiveness of Jesus. Freud, uh, the great modern psychoanalyst, said if he could eliminate people's feeling of guilt, that's your subjective feelings, he would be the greatest psychoanalyst. He could heal anybody, right? He realized that guilt and the way we process our personal guilt is the single most destructive force of our, of our psyche. It just is. He prescribed cocaine often because of it. And uh, because just to make people feel better. Removal of guilt. But you get your personal removal has, begins with this eternal transaction. And the worth of Christ removing it. Oh, and adding in all he is, all of God is into you. Mm. Forgiveness is a huge package deal. So I invite you into it. But all right, you may have met Christians, if you're not a Christian, you may have met Christians who suffer with a lot of not being able to forgive themselves. This process here that I'm describing, they don't know how to own it. 
And one of the reasons I'm one of the reasons I, I'm describing it as a transaction is because the only way you can get to your subjective response is if you begin with an objective reality. In other words, forgiveness can't be fogged up by just your feelings. It has to be it has to be it has to be equipped by a knowledge that this is this is real. It's out there. It's really forged in the universe. If that makes sense. Now, so forgiveness can be here today. Pray and admit that you're a sinner and trust him and his sacrifice. Do it now. Do it while I'm talking. But those of you who are struggling to, with forgiveness, struggling to forgive yourselves, you, you know what a problem it is. You know what a problem it is. And you've, maybe you've often been told you need to learn to forget your sins. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, people often complain, I can't forget my sins. I can't forget them, Chris. How am I supposed to forget something? But you no, know, God is a perfect recall. God is eternally omniscient. He knows all things. So God is said to forget. So forgetting isn't about not remembering. It's something else, isn't it? Take a look in Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the I am. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will become like wool. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. And so the idea is that these absolute, almost absurd terms, you know, these are poetic terms that are supposed to give you a sense of total transformation and total removal. Believe in your forgiveness. Forgive yourself. Forget. So what is this forgetting then? And how, if God, how do you forget but you still remember? Well, I think we're, we're invited into this in Paul's own life. Paul struggled with this. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He has not attained a resurrection from the dead. He knows he's not in heaven. He's not done. But I press on to make it my own. He's constantly engaged. He doesn't stop. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. I haven't arrived yet. But one thing I do, and he describes this, and this is wonderful, and this is what I want you to hear. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to lies ahead, that's what forgetting is. It's that it's leaving what's behind. Now, forgetting, I, I haven't defined it yet. All right, let, me, let, me, let me see if I can help you here. The data about your lies, adultery, lust, theft, cruelty, all the, pe the people you ignored or forgot. It's all irrelevant data. Yeah, you, you, you have it as data. You can't get rid of data in your head, but it's simply irrelevant. Let me give you an example. Your past sin is like reading a newspaper that's 20 years old to get the news today. We don't do it. We never do it. In fact, many of us will not read a newspaper that's more than a day old, because day old news is what? Useless. Oh, yeah, we can derive history from it but, and get a sense of and analyze the history of something, but we certainly cannot. We certainly cannot. Uh, um, what, was I, what was I trying to say? Uh, we, 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 it can't be used today. It's not relevant for right now. It's not the news that I'm reacting to. I'll give you another example. Uh, do, you, do, you have, do, you have, do you have bank statements that are 10 years old? Do you have bank statements that are 15? Do you ever go into them? Do you ever read them? Do you ever review them? Do you go, how about this? You know, I have an old calendar. You ever look in your old calendar in Google? When you do in your old calendar, these electronic calendars, I notice that they kind of fade. They kind of, uh, they put in like a half faded, half fade, everything that all your appointments before this present moment. Why? Because they're irrelevant. You could use them for research or for a data point or a question, but they're, you know what? 
your past crimes, your past lies, your past infidelities, your past indiscretions, you know what they are to God? They are irrelevant data. They just, that he doesn't use them to compute anything he thinks of you or anything he regards you with. Take his regard then. You see, take God's regard. Now, Corey Ten Boom had an image of this. She said, look, your, your sins were thrown into the ocean and they're at the bottom of that ocean. And there's a sign right next to it. There's a little sign on the beach next to where all your sins were thrown away in the ocean. And you know what it says? No fishing. <laughs> we're not permitted to go and fish those out. They belong to God now. He has died. And you see it in Paul's passion here. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In. What's, he, what's he claiming there? His perfect forgiveness that makes him able to treat his past as irrelevant data. And that's what he means by forgetting. Because he brings up items of his past. He brings them up again and again to prove how much God loves him and how much God wants to use him to love others. He hasn't forgotten anything. But it's irrelevant data. You see, it just doesn't matter because of forgiveness. God's forgiveness is that full and free. So what does it do? It does something amazing because that forgiveness now changes the person that it arrives on. So the person who's in Christ and Christ is in you, something happens and you become the little engine that could. Do you, I don't know, I realized when I wrote this, forgiveness, the forgiveness engine that could, that might not be a book that you grew up with. Um, the engine, little engine that could was a book I grew up with. It's about a little yellow engine that is trying to go up a little mountain and take this train of toys to all the kids on the other side of the mountain. And he goes, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It's kind of like a crane cadence. I think I can, I think I can, I think. And he gets over the mountain. It's kind of a story of victory. Well, you are that little engine now. You are a little forgiver. <laughs> what, is God, what does Jesus do? Jesus forgives, and, then, and his forgiveness is such a tremendous triumph that what do we become little forgivers? And that's what we do by... It's in our prayer life, in the very core and the heart of what we prayed this very day. Christ instructed us, if we would pray as he would teach us, we must always pray what? Forgive those who hurt us. Wow. <laughs> We're little. Are you a little forgiver? And you see the Holy Spirit now, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. I want to read this again. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven forgiven them. I hear transaction. Christ is saying something here. I am complicit. In, I am a part of your forgiving work. I am acting. That's beautiful. And this, you get a sense of how real it is in the world. It's, they're really forgiven when you forgive. That's amazing. Is that really real? Yes. Look at how Christ talks about how essential, the essential nature of this transaction is so elemental to being a Christian that if it doesn't work in you, if you're not a forgiver, then you don't know Jesus. You're not forgiven. If you don't forgive others, it is a red flag, right? It's the red flag. It's the great red flag of the demonic and those who do not know Christ. Christ, now, when you quote Jesus in the New Testament, you can always usually quote him at least three times because Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to report the same stories. But on this forgiveness issue, this is not a repetition of the same teaching. These are different teachings, different times, different places. And he really attacks this forgiveness both positively and negatively. If you forgive, your heavenly Father will forgive you. you see that in Matthew 6. But if you don't, he won't. He repeatedly forgive and you will be forgiven. He affirms it again in Luke 6. Then Matthew 18 even talks about oh, how often are you going to do this. 
and I forgive him. And then Christ gives him not seven times, and maybe Peter thought he was being generous. Maybe he thought he was being godly and loving, but Christ is like, no, seven times seven. Now, he didn't, he didn't present 77 as the limit. So that's a perfection word. It means there is no end. There is no end to forgiving people. There is no limit. Once you know something else here, there's no hoops. It has no standard. It's, it's so amazing. This forgiveness is so free, it almost seems like it couldn't be that free. Now, Paul goes and he's on. And every writer of the New Testament deals with this idea of forgiveness. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgiving each other as God. And so in other words, it's not just that we're supposed to, we're little forgivers, actually imitating the way God forgives without limit, <laughs> without hoops, without, oh, how beautiful is this. Love covers a multitude of sins. You get that word cover. Cover is the word for forgiveness in the Old Testament. So this, this idea here, this idea is, uh, that's being presented here is that as little forgivers, this is the oil of, that lubricates the engine of the church. All right, what is, what is oil in an engine? Do you know what oil does in your engine? The reason you check your oil all the time is that your engine is a bunch of metal moving very, very close, like rubbing. And all those metal parts are rubbing, pistons and, and, and uh, rods, and they're all moving blindingly fast. Metal, when it rubs against metal, creates what? Friction, heat. And heat and metal and friction and all that will cause damage and destruction and warping and, and, just, and destroy the engine. When you put oil in there, it's possible for this metal now to rub against other metal at extraordinarily high temperatures and yet not break. Love covers a multitude of sins and forgiving as God in Christ forgave you with this freedom and this fullness and this radical release is nothing less than the way we can get along. I think that the church's enterprise and the possibility of the church thriving or growing or continuing is always going to be dependent on how we forgive each other and how we learn and how this transaction is so constant. It's so ready, it's so free, and it's so, it's so, is the transaction we engage with each other. It's one of the reasons I think you should ask for forgiveness and give it. You should engage in the transaction. It is living for your marriage. It's living for other people. And you realize something's been done. But what if you just say to me at this point, I can't forgive, Chris. This is where I just don't, uh, Chris, this is hard for me. I have struggled at times. Let's go back to Corey. Corey Ten Boom. That, that, that German soldier, put a, he put out his hand. What did she do? What did she do in response? She tells the story that she reached into her pocketbook, <laughs> fumbling, and her mind was racing, and she was crying out to God, help me. And she felt all the emotions, right? And, she, and one thing she realized, that if she didn't forgive him, then her entire message was empty, that she had just preached, that she had just been telling him. She says, she remembered in that moment that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision of the will. It's an action. So she decided to forgive. She chose to forgive. And this is a very important thing because sometimes when people say, I can't forgive, what, what they're really saying is, I won't. And if you hear a can't in your voice, I'm telling you, your can't is really a won't before Jesus. 
because he is saying he is promising you the power and it is at the very center of everything he did and is and if you're not at the very center of everything he did does and is then something might be wrong but turn your hear yourself challenge yourself your can't is really a won't she made the decision and when she made the decision she said she was filled i mean filled to the brim with ecstatic joy of reconciliation by the holy spirit she even she's so you got to read this stuff you got to read her because she's too great to be even you wouldn't even believe by my report how amazing this woman was uh she even said you know you think i would have become a forgiving person forever after that but she said at the age of 80 when she was telling this story she said at the age of 80 i still find it hard to forgive <laughs> it's a choice still turn uh, don't listen to your heart tell you you can't hear what's really there you won't all right but here chris still what am i to do help me chris what i can't forgive well first well these three th there's three things i want to introduce you to you might need to check your attitude you might need to examine your salvation and you might need to question your heart how are you going to check your attitude this is what I do. This is my this is my this is my practice because Christ did it from the cross. At the cross he said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Just like he had preached to everybody in Matthew 5, "Pray for those who persecute you." Christ himself did that from the cross. Imitate him and pray for those, especially pray for the forgiveness of those who have hurt you personally. Pray for it and seek and pray for their blessing. Do it privately in your own heart. Make it your transaction before the Lord to pray for their blessing. Why? Why? Because you can't pray for it and not do it. Well, sure, you can try, but it's going to work on your heart. And this is the way I keep short accounts with people, with men or women that have wronged me or hurt me or, or have sinned against me, is to pray regularly and routinely. I, I actually don't do it. I do it usually once a month where everyone who has done some damage to my family or to me or to my heart or lied about something or attacked, or I pray for them, pray for their blessing, pray for those who persecute me, pray for them. Check your attitude. This is a way of checking your attitude with God so the Holy Spirit now can be a part of you becoming a forgiving person, a forgiving engine that can. So check your attitude. Second, examine your heart. We're in Luke 7 here, and this is one of those magic moments that, uh, uh, Ted was recently just, just talking about this. I remember, uh, this is such a moment. Uh, Jesus is at the home of Simon, and Simon is super pastor. Simon is like uh, the biggest one of the biggest pastors of his day. He's a really important religious leader, right? And he's having dinner with Jesus. And, and then as he's having dinner, they're rudely interrupted by a hooker, by a loose woman from the street, by someone who sold their body. She comes in and she's a destroyed. You want to talk about not being able to forgive herself. So she goes in and I'm going to read it. A certain moneylender. Uh, so, so, she, so I'm sorry, let me tell you uh, before we jump in, I read it. Simon has been watching this woman. She comes in. She's just, uh, so she's really upset about herself. She begins to kiss Jesus's feet and wash his feet with her hair and with ointment. Ooh, that's, that's got to be uncomfortable. And, he, and Simon knows she's a hooker. He knows she's a loose woman of the night. He knows who she is. And he says to his, his heart, how can this guy, Jesus, be that good if he doesn't know a hooker's washing his feet? This is embarrassing. And listen to what Jesus says. Hey, Simon, he says, first he says, Simon, can I tell you something? And, and literally Simon says, say it. 
Shoot, go ahead, Jesus. And he says, I want to tell you a story. A certain money lender had two debtors. The banker had two debtors. One owned 500 dinars, 500 bucks, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. What a nice guy, right? Now, which of them will love him more? Who will love the banker more? Simon answered, the one I suppose, uh, for whom he canceled larger debt, I, I guess. And, and Jesus says to Simon, you're right. You nailed it. And turning towards the woman, he doesn't even look at Simon now. This is message. He's talking to Simon, but he's looking at her. You know why he's looking? he has to turn to look at her? Because she wouldn't even sit in front of him. The text says she sat behind him because she was too unworthy to even appear in his face. That's how she feels about herself. She's doing this all from behind. So he turns to look at her in love. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, he says to Simon. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You do not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Beautiful, huh? Beautiful. But did you catch it? Who is the greater sinner here? Jesus is telling us something. Who is the greater sinner? Simon was. Simon hadn't honored the king of creation, the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, sat at his table. He had not accorded him the worthiness and the glory and the praise due him. Simon's sin is the sin of blasphemy, judgment, and, and arrogance of man. Her. She, so it's not that she's worse than Simon. She just realizes it. And therefore, she loves much because she realizes how much she is forgiven. Are you the hooker or are you Simon? In other words, are you the person who needs to hear your forgiveness? We already talked about this and learn to believe you're forgiven and see Christ turn to you. Or are you Simon all the time knowing that you figure other people needed forgiveness more than you? And the minute you said that in your heart, that other people needed more forgiveness than you, you betrayed yourself that you did not know or recognize how much sin was in your own soul. And therefore, you love little, not because, not because, not, you don't love little because you are forgiven little. It's just because you know how little you're forgiven. What am I saying here? You need to examine your, your salvation to see where your real crimes are. Because you see, many Christians have not acknowledged the deep blasphemy and unbelief in their hearts and their arrogance that they'd ever thought they were better than another person. If you have ever imagined you're better than another person, your crimes are awful. You see? Those are the crimes you need to be forgiven for. Turn to him in love. And so the second thing is to examine your heart. You see, if you're reluctant to forgive, it's because you have not yet grasped that that reluctance to forgive had to be forgiven because that reluctance to forgive is the great crime. You get it? That, that, that is so evil. When I have not forgiven, I, my heart almost wants to shake because if I, have, if I have hardened my heart in forgiveness, what has Jesus promised? I'm not forgiving you either. You're not a little forgiver. 
Finally, you have to question your heart. And this is this last one, and this gets us to the end of our message and the last point that we'll, 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 we'll look at. And, 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 and I really took this long to get here. We have to get here, though. And the, and the only way to really interpret John 20, verse 23, is through Deuteronomy 29. Because there is, you may need to question your heart. Uh, if for some reason you cannot, if you can't forgive other people, your final question should be whether you're a Christian. Beware, this is one of the warnings in Deuteronomy, beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. A root, who's this? It's a person. One who, that's the root. So is there a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit? One who, and what is this person like? When he hears the words of this sworn covenant, everything I've been preaching about Jesus, he blesses himself in his heart and he says this, okay, I'm okay, I'm safe. I, be I believe that, sure, I believe it. But you know, you can't tell me what to do inside here. I'm, and in the heart, there's a stubbornness. You figure you believe just enough to get by and you're going to be good. In other words, you're going to skate through this because you figure you believe. And, you're, and the gospel of Jesus Christ just manages your guilt. And you really don't have to be a forgiver. And you're not really a forgiver. And at the heart, you've always held on to a grudge. And you've always resented. And you've remembered everything done against you. And you have never forgotten and will never for. And you hear me saying? Are you this person? Well, listen to how stern his judgments are. This will lead to the sweeping away of everyone who says it from dry to wet. That's an old, uh, that was an old idiom, probably from Egypt about the Nile. From the dry person to a wet person means everybody. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him. You see, this is the forgiveness withheld here. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy, listen to this, will smoke against that man. You ever put hot oil in a pan, and when the, when the pan's heating, the oil begins to burn? It begins to smoke because it's so hot. That's the image of God's anger. And the curses written in this book will settle on him. That's where they're going to rest. And listen to this. This is The Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. This is a setup here. If in the end you shake your fist at this forgiveness concept and you don't become a broker of true forgiveness, of a true forgetting, where somebody's past failures are irrelevant, then you haven't yet, you, you may not be a Christian. That's the final conclusion. Why is that so important to come to? Because the forgiveness that never happens has happened to that person. They never were forgiven to begin with. They just took the concept as a panacea, as a pillow, as some comfort, as a little blanket, as some way to defend themselves, but never to be transformed. They're not little forgivers. Let's go back to our text. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold, as we're looking at now, forgiveness from any, it is withheld. But I don't know if you notice this or not. You notice these yous here? There's two of them here. You and you. They're in the plural. You see, this is not a personal statement that you are allowed to withhold forgiveness from other people. Corey Ten Boom realized in that moment, if she withheld forgiveness from the guard, that she realized that she would be inconsistent with every single thing that God had done for her. And she made the decision to forgive. That decision came to her by the Holy Spirit. But, but, but there is a time to withhold. 
but it's not for you personally. It's for the church. This you is in the plurals. And all of a sudden, right here in this receive the Holy Spirit moment, this is Jesus talking about the formation of the church. How do we know that? Because this expression is mirrored in Matthew 18. Look, truly I say to you, it's in red here, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's the same concept. I'm, I'm going to do the things you do are mine, and the things you don't do, I'm not doing. Whoo! As if to God said, my transactions on earth are in and through my church and my people, and how they behave and what they do. Wow! And the gospel shows up. Well, let's take a look here. Because you see, in our community, in our fellowship here at First Press, there's, things are going to break down sometimes. And what was going to happen is people who are, people who are here, uh, people who are walking in the stubbornness of their heart, the person who is, who is here, who is walking, who thinks they're safe and walking in the stubbornness of their heart, they get exposed. Something happens. And uh, let's say your brother sins against you. Let's say this person, uh, the, somebody uh, sins against somebody. And somebody goes and tell them, tells them their fault between you and him alone. That's what happens. That's how it's supposed to happen. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So this is supposed to be happening all the time. And by God's grace, it does happen. Brothers and sisters rebuke me and I rebuke them. Or we show each other errors we think they're making in, in your obedience. Your, and praise God. We're supposed to constantly be loving and forgiving and working, working and encouraging each other, and even sometimes showing each other how we're failing in order to succeed. But sometimes, if he does not listen, sometimes the person won't listen. The process of, oh, you know, you've, you've hurt me, or you messed up here, and they just go, so what? Or they don't care, or they resist. And they show something that in their hearts they've been saying, I'm safe. I can stay stubborn. But what happens is something happens, and it gets out. That stubbornness becomes revealed to the world. I've seen it happen. And the people just get angry and they, re they reject the whole process. Take one or two others along with you and every charge may establish by the evidence of two to three witnesses. And this is to meet the Old Testament standards for justice. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to the church, let him be you as Gentile and a tax collector. And this passage here, Matthew 18, is describing the process of church excommunication. Excommunication. It's not personal, though. Why is it so essential at this moment? Because it's the only hope. Don't you see? It's because it's loving to do this. Why? How could it be loving? It's the only loving thing left to do is to excommunicate. What do I mean? You see, in the interchange between us, and sometimes other people are involved, the elders get involved, and somebody screws up, that as the Holy Spirit's there, the little forgiver that God has made comes out. It just happens. I've seen that happen too. The little forgiver may have been upset at first or defensive or angry at being confronted, but eventually they come to their senses and they go, oh my goodness, I've been wrong. Please forgive me. They're humble. They're willing to hear it. They finally can hear, oh, it's my mistake. I thought I was the one correcting everybody and I'm not, whatever it is, right? But, but at this moment, this person, but this person who doesn't respond that way is trapped and they have no hope because they think they're a Christian and it's okay. 
for them to sin. They think it's a Christian, it's all right for them to be wicked. They think it's a Christian, it's all right for them to refuse to forgive. And such a person is beyond the mercy of God, and we must excommunicate. What does that mean? Excommunicate means out of communion. Not in our, they can't take communion anymore. Why? Because we don't want them to have a hope that's false. You see, their only hope is if they can wake up like that prodigal son does. When he wakes up, when he comes to himself working amongst the pigs, and it's, the Bible says he came to his senses. And we're hoping that this pro, the process of withholding forgiveness is never punitive. It's not meant to hurt. It's not meant to wound. It's not meant to attack. It's not meant to discourage. It's not meant to do any of those things. It's meant to have a purpose to bring them back, you see. This is nowhere more clear than these terrible words. I, uh, he uh, when he was talking to Timothy, Paul even talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's just the excommunication process he's describing. That's one of the ways you can describe the handing over to Satan away from God. But not so they may merely die and go to hell. It's not that kind of judgment. Because they may still return and we will welcome them. Because remember, there's no hoops. Repentance and saying you're saying you're a sinner and that you believe, that's enough. It's amazing what repentance. Now, there can be people in long-term patterns who are deceiving everybody, even with the repentance, but that's a long way down the road before we even see that. And what's really here is a real, oh, this is something precious. And I want you to hear this because what's going to happen, what I've seen happen when discipline happens in the church, you'll hear about they're disciplining somebody. Oh, yeah, they're, you, can you believe they're withholding forgiveness? And then everybody, everybody's just rallying. That church doesn't love people. They don't know the forgiveness of God. And all the while, by sabotaging the, the discipline process and saying things like that, the people in the church are removing the possibility that that person is going to wake up and realize that the bargain that they've struck in their heart to be safe is not transformative. They're not one of the children of the kingdom. And if they wake up to that, they might repent. I've seen it happen. I've seen people repent after excommunication because they came to their senses. And it's honestly, excommunication is last act of withholding forgiveness. You see, now we're ready. We can understand that verse. But that verse is the action of the church as the church, giving that final warning in love. Turn around. Don't hope that you're a Christian until you see evidence of that work inside you. You see, this is the real deal. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, everything about church gets real serious. It's real living. And forgiveness becomes even more possible. So let's end this now. We see how Jesus Christ solves God's problem with forgiveness and even our problems with forgiveness. Let us now turn with the Holy Spirit to the Holy Spirit for new hope, for new power, for new life, for new wisdom to know, for new power and joy in him, right? To be little forgivers ourselves, animated with a forgiveness and love that is just bigger, bigger than, bigger, more beautiful than anything we could have expected. Let's pray. Here's Father. I thank you for I thank you for loving me. I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, my forgiveness, I have been over this, I've been down this road so many times with you. How to 
how to forgive myself, how to, how to live in your forgiveness when I remember the things I've done. I thank you for showing me again how that's just it's irrelevant data to the matter at hand. I pray to be a bigger forgiver. <laughs> I pray that we would be a, a congregation of little forgivers. It would be, we'd be obnoxiously forgiving each other, <laughs> eager, uh, beating each other to the point, always wanting to see how, how can we express again, again, and again what we have seen in ourselves, a God who forgives sinners so much. <laughs> we come like him to forgive as he forgives. This, this, we ask for the Holy Spirit. Breathe on us, Son of God. Breathe on us, Lord Jesus. Breathe on us, the Holy Spirit. And we will hope for this and much more. We will hope for new forgivers to be born again because of this, of this message and because of our lives. I pray, Father, that you, out, the Holy Spirit would now equip us to go out from this place to, with this work in front of us and with this work behind us and with his work behind us and this work in front of us and press on to find out how we can share your forgiveness and experience your forgiveness and show your forgiveness to more folks. <laughs> Come and do that, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let us proclaim together to one another, to each other, the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this and remember me. And after dinner, he took a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Um, do this and think about me, remember me. This is a table of salvation. This is a table of forgiveness. You know, because we are little forgivers and we need that forgiveness energy in ourselves, and we this is why we do this every week. As a, and, and it's why it's so transactional, too. It's like, a, you know, it's, it has all that feeling of a transaction, doesn't it? It's transaction is body and blood reminding us. And we take it in because we are in him. And the in language is because this is inside us. You see, it's in my body. I'm in Christ. He's in me. And therefore, it's a way of restating I'm forgiven. When I put this in me, it's my way of saying I'm forgiven forever. And then from here, we become little forgivers. Uh, if you know the forgiveness of God by faith in Jesus Christ, and this is your table, however far you've wandered, however far you've run. But uh, if you don't believe in God, then this isn't your table. Uh, and, and not to put too fine a point on it, but you know, it's if uh, you're not a forgiver, if you're not a forgiver who's been forg who knows the forgiveness of Christ at the cross, then this isn't your table. Don't take it inappropriately. Um, take it when it's real. When it really means something. Some of you are skeptics when you want when you listen to this, and you know, forgiveness sounds like a dream or or or, um, or a hope that could never be uh, achieved. Uh, I, I hope you hear, uh, I hope you hear this transaction is available to you and you feel invited into it by, by watching us observe this and enjoy our salvation, enjoying our salvation. All right, let's, pre let's now respond to the question what we believe with the Apostles' Creed after we articulate 
uh, our beliefs uh, and the things that happened to our Lord and Savior. You know, one of our things we, 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 we say in the Apostles' Creed is we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and and, and uh, as we do this, uh, this is our rallying cry together uh, of truth. And then after we, after we do this, we will celebrate this meal, this meal together. So I ask you, Christian brother and sister, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.